0: If you're in our middle school age group, we've got a uh, class for you in the back that uh, we'd love for you to be a part of. If you fall into that category, I don't know who's here today. My own kid is gone, wherever he is. So, um, so we've been in this little three-week series called "Wherever You Live." It's been a real simple take um, on our approach to how we're thinking about 2021. So. If you've been with us for any period of time, every year around Advent or before Advent, somewhere in the October, November, leading into December time, we take an intentional pause, we break from whatever series we're in, and we begin to pray and dream and think about what the Lord is calling us to that next year. I cast vision, we do some action points, we talk about where the Lord might be leading us, we talk about children or youth or mission or or discipleship or whatever it is that that we believe the Lord is leading us towards, and we cast some vision for the coming year. Well, of course, 2020 threw a wrench in a lot of those plans for us. We simply shifted into how do we thrive as the body of Christ in an environment in which we've, one, never been in. They don't teach us how to do in seminary. And, you know, when we move to the park, like, what do we do with all that? When your volunteer base gets obliterated, when you can't worship in your own space, when families feel uncomfortable coming and gathering together, how do you love As a body of Christ, people really well. How do you move small groups together when technically, physically, we're not supposed to be gathering together during much of the past year? So we spend a lot of our time honestly in response, not thinking forward, not dreaming ahead, but trying to figure out how we live in this space. We step into 2021 and we don't really know what's going to unfold. We don't have a clear picture. We don't know if we're going to be able to go back to normal and push our chairs together or open up all of our kids' rooms. We don't know if there's going to be another. We don't know anything. But what we do know is that there's two ways that believers can respond to the unknown. They can respond in fear and anxiety and worry and let it rule and run their hearts. That is an option. Or two, we can respond with trust and reliance and acknowledgement on the goodness of God. Those are the choices that we really have. And you have those in your life and we have them as a church. We can decide that, well, we don't know, so we're just going to worry about it. We're going to wonder where the money's going to come from. We're going to worry about how we're going to gather together again or if people are going to leave. We can worry and let anxiety and those things go, hey, we're, we're kind of a church plant. We've been around for a little while, but we're still trying to make this thing work. Is this the end? I mean, we can worry about those things. Or two, we can truly trust that God has never left us. He's never forsaken us. He has always provided for us that that God is in total and absolute control. We can surrender to His sovereignty and goodness. And you can make that decision together as a family. And so as we started thinking about 2021, the proclamation that I wanted in my heart for my own family is, Lord, I don't know what's going to happen, but wherever you lead, I want to go. Whatever that looks like. If it means that we have to rethink and reimagine what church should be and look like, I'm in. If it means I need to think differently about how to love my neighbor, I'm in. If it means that I need to think differently about what we do with our financial resources or how we reorient our heart, then I want to be in because I want to go wherever you are, because I believe that you lead. And so we unpack this little series based on Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. and all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. And we look at that verse as sort of this mantra picture for saying, God, wherever you go, here's what we're going to do. We're going to trust you with all of our heart. We're not going to rely on our own understanding. We're going to rely on you. And we're going to acknowledge you. We're going to proclaim your goodness and believe that you are God. We're going to do those things as a church. And I'm going to try and do them as a family, as a person. I want to be in that place that says, Lord, I trust you with all of my heart. Every tiny little piece, the darkest corners, and the most obvious. I don't want to rely on my own understanding. I have no idea what's happening tomorrow I want to trust you and rely on you alone. And I want to proclaim you from the bottom of my soul. I want to acknowledge you, who you are, and I want to acknowledge your goodness. And as a church, if we gravitate towards those things and say, Lord, whatever unfolds in 2021, our mantra will simply be wherever you lead. Like we are in, no matter if it's difficult or easy, no matter if it's across the world or across the room, like we are in. And so we've been in this little three-week exploration of those pieces of that puzzle. So no giant perfect vision points for how we're going to do these 10 things in 10 days and get whatever. Just true biblical foundation points that say, God, I want to be at a place that wherever you lead, whatever this world brings, we just believe that you are God. And so the past two weeks, we explored those first two principles, trust and rely. And this morning, we're going to look simply at that last one, which is this idea of acknowledge. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Which of course brings the question, what does it truly mean to acknowledge the Lord? What is our our author, that proverb, what is it saying? What does it mean to acknowledge the Lord? Well, the Scripture, of course, does an incredible way of expounding upon itself. And so this morning we're going to look at one verse in the book of Colossians that I believe unpacks that idea of acknowledgement incredibly well. So if you've got your Bible, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17 this morning. And we're going to look at just a few incredibly simple yet deeply profound truths that sort of shed light on this idea of what it truly means to acknowledge the Lord. So as you turn there, let's take a moment. And uh, let's pray together, and we'll ask the Lord to teach our hearts um, together. Lord, we do thank you for the families that stood up here this morning, for the families that they represent that aren't here, Lord, the ones that couldn't come. I know we had several families this morning, Lord, that weren't feeling well, and of course, we're in that season now where the slightest cough, cold, sniffle, Shin ache. We ha- can't come to places, and uh, so we, we we long for them, Lord, and we we represent their families. And Lord, for all of us that stood up here this morning, that represent grandparents and aunts and uncles and just sort of tribe of people that help raise their children, Lord, we're eternally grateful. Um, God, we ask that you would teach us as a church and as individuals and as families how to truly trust you, how to rely not on understanding, to not let fear and worry and anxiety rule our hearts, but instead, Lord, to be at a place. But well, we would truly and totally rely upon you, acknowledging who you are, your sovereignty and your goodness. Take a moment in your own heart, just as you sit here, and just ask the Lord to teach you anything this morning, whatever it is that he wants to just press upon your heart, whether it's this deep, powerful, profound thing, or just the simple whisper of truth. Just ask the Lord to teach your heart this morning, just in the stillness of your own heart. And take a moment and pray for the person around you. We do this each week. We want to be in the habit of praying for other people. Everything that unfolds here on Sunday morning is not about you. Pray for someone beside you, your spouse, child, someone that you just met. Maybe you don't even know their name. Just ask the Lord to move in them. Lord, we turn our time over to you this morning. We release it to you. We ask you to teach us in it, in the beautiful and wonderful and risen name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. So, what does it mean to truly acknowledge the Lord? So, the, our, our author, of the Proverb says, "So trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not in your understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight." So, what does it mean to acknowledge the Lord? Well, it's a relatively simple answer, but living it out or acting on it is, of course. More challenging. And the relatively simple answer is that we, to acknowledge the Lord, we have to re- recognize that He is God and submit wholly to His authority. So essentially, recognizing is this proclamation that says, I believe that you are who you say you are. In other words, I recognize that you are God. And I submit to your authority, essentially, in all things. So I'm acknowledging you, not just by simply giving you a tip of the cap or a head nod, but with my whole life, I'm saying, yes, you are God, and you have authority over all things. Now, the practical living out of that truth is much different. But it's a simple process, but one that most of us don't like to give into. And we're going to see it laid out in Colossians chapter 3. So right at the end of that chapter... And we've actually studied this chapter in the park this summer, but we didn't spend too much time on verse 17, and so we're going to look at that more in depth this morning. But this is what verse 17 says in the book of Colossians, chapter 3. It's what Paul's writing to that church in Colossae. He says this, Whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So to the church, whatever you do, in word or in Deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. So we talk about acknowledging that God is who he says he is, that he is God, and that he has supreme authority over in our lives. How do we walk that out? Well, Paul says, church, this is how you walk it out. Whatever you do, he gives these kind of three statements. Whatever you do in word and deed is that first one. So you know what that word whatever means? It means Whatever. So the idea being that in every tiny little thing in your life, whatever it is, it covers all of that. Whatever actually means whatever. It doesn't just cover church things or Jesus-y things or things that are kind of in this moral category, but leaves out Friday and Saturday, right? Whatever covers every aspect of your life. It doesn't just cover the check that you write to church, but it covers what you do with all of your other resources. It doesn't just cover how you speak to your wife. It Covers how you speak to your coworkers or your buddies. It doesn't just cover the things that you do publicly. It covers the things that you think when no one else is around, the things that you engage in when no one's watching. Whatever covers all those things. And in case we thought there was a place that whatever may not touch, Paul actually kind of expounds it out a little bit. In case you miss what I'm saying, whatever you do in word or in deed, meaning that if you thought whatever meant just actions, you're wrong. It actually means the things that you say as well, that movement between your heart and your head, that movement between your heart and your actions. Everything is encapsulated in what you do. There's nothing that escapes these parameters. Now, the reason Paul lays that out so importantly is because we like to play bargain games with God. We like to bargain with the Lord. We like to say, if I do this, then you'll let me keep doing this. Now, we don't say it that much, but we tell ourselves that, that as long as I go to church on Sunday... I don't have to fully give up these things. Or as long as I don't murder or commit these type of sins, I'm kind of okay because these aren't as bad. Or as long as I surrender to this, then I can ignore your call to let go of this. And we like to play those games with the Lord, and we pretend that God is blessed or appreciates the idea that we're trying. What Paul's saying is that there's nothing in your life that escapes this whatever. And as I was going through that this week, it's just hard to really understand for me because there's a lot of my life that I don't want covered under that whatever clause. There's a portion of my life that I don't want the Lord fully involved in. There's a portion of my life that I have learned to deal with and become accustomed with and have come to just sort of know and understand that I know is not right, that's sinful, that's hurtful, that's just selfish, that's prideful, that's arrogant, that's all of those things wrapped in a ball And I don't like to mess with it because I know that I'm just comfortable there. But this whatever clause covers all those things. So whatever in word and in deed. So as we start this conversation off about acknowledging there is nothing in your life that escapes this. That means you cannot be a different person at work than you are at home. It means that you cannot be a different person to your wife than you are to your buddies. It means that your actions and words have got to do something. And this is what Paul says they've got to do, whether in action or whether in word or in deed. Whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. So what does that mean, right? What does it mean to do something in the name of Jesus? Does that just mean we tag the name of Jesus on whatever that is? Hey, listen, it's been a good relationship. I really do appreciate it. But I think we should break up in the name of Jesus, right? Like, you know, we go to the IRS. We're like, look, I declare bankruptcy. the name of Jesus. So we kind of covered there, right? I'm good. I mean, it doesn't really work that way. And then if it did, it would be the inflection would really matter. I was thinking about today, I was like, I got a 15-year-old and I can call him in the room one of two ways. I could say, hey, Cooper, come on in here in the name of Jesus. Or I can be like, Cooper, in the name of Jesus, get in here, right? Like how we use that inflection would matter, right? That's not really what Paul's talking about. So when we do something in the name of something, it's not a tag on, it's not uh, to give some kind of authority to. It's actually something much different. It implies this idea of full representation. So when we do something in the name of someone else, we're actually doing it in that sort of nature, love, and character of that person. So if you do something in the name of whatever, if you're an ambassador for another country, and you're, you're doing your country, you're representing your country to another country, you're, you're acting on their behalf. You become the vocal point, the place, the actual physical representation of the authority of that country. And therefore, you speak on behalf of whatever that country is. In the United States of America, you are the mouthpiece of that. You are the representation. Therefore, your actions should be in the love and nature and character of whatever that is. So if we're doing something in the name of Jesus, it means a couple of things. It means that every action that we have, every word and indeed that's covered under that whatever statement, should be done in the love and character and nature of Christ. Now this is another challenging place for me because the whatever statement really throws a lot of things into play here. That means that every word that comes out from my mouth, every action, every way I look at someone, how I react when someone cuts me off in traffic, how I respond to coworkers or other people, even my own children, the way I talk to my wife, the inflection, the tone, those things. That they're all called to be done in the name of Jesus, which is in the very nature and love and character of Christ. This is really challenging, right? Because there's very little that I do that I think could be covered under the love and nature and character of Christ. Most of it is in representation of me. That's how most of us live. Now, there are, of course, moments where we're doing very intentional things, right? I'm, I'm leading Bible study. I'm going on the mission field and doing whatever where I can say I've mustered up enough to represent Christ. But what Paul's saying is that we are not talking about those few isolated great moral movements of the church in which you carry the banner. We're talking about the moments when your door is closed and every single thought, life, and word that comes from your lips should be done in the name of and the love, nature, and character of Christ. What that tells me is that I've got a lot to apologize to people for. Because oftentimes the things that I do are not done as the full representation of and expression of in the love and nature and character of Christ. I want to do them in the love and nature and character of Hulk Hogan, flying body slam to your face. Or I want to take my child and punt him across the room. Those are true feelings, right? But the reality is, is that we're called to something wholly different. To acknowledge Jesus means that we have to be willing to be at a place where we do everything in his name. There's a second part of that idea, too. When you do something in the name of someone else, if you do it in the name of Jesus, love, character, and nature, character, nature, and love, we also have this idea of who gets the glory. So if you're doing something in the name of Jesus, it's for Jesus, and he receives all glory, honor, and praise. Which means that the actions of your life are not designed to draw attention back to yourself. You are not created to walk in a way that points glory back to you. You are created to walk in a way that points glory to Christ. The very nature of your life should be to point people to Jesus. That was the idea. Even when God chose Israel as his own nation, the idea was that other nations would look at Israel and they would see the love and nature and character of God and they would want to know that love. That when you live and you act in a way that does something in the name of Jesus, Jesus gets the glory, not you. He gets the honor, not you. It doesn't mean you simply deflect everything when your boss says, hey, nice project. You're like, ah, it's Jesus. I mean, that's not really what we're talking about. We're talking about the idea that I'm not looking for affirmation for people, for my own low self-esteem. I'm not looking for affirmation from people to stroke my ego. I'm not looking for them to build me up. I know who I am in Christ. Therefore, everything that I do, he gets glory for. It's only because of him. Every good thing that unfolds in my life is because of Jesus. So when you do something in the name of Jesus, love, character, and nature of Christ, it's who you're reflecting, and he gets the glory and honor which is the opposite of everything in me. Everything in me, right, is the best representation of myself. I want you to think certain things about me. Best representation of myself that I can be. And typically I need praise from people because I'm broken. But to acknowledge the Lord turns that on its head and says, this is not about you. It's not about me. What if we lived in that way? And then Paul slips in this last little word here in that verse, which is really important. It's very intentional. He says, we do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, and he uses the word Lord there very intentionally. He doesn't always refer to Jesus as Lord, but when he does, it's a very intentional move because he's reminding you of something really powerful. That when we acknowledge Jesus as Lord, we're acknowledging a very specific and true theological movement, which is not that Jesus is some wandering rabbi whose teaching is really powerful and we should probably all follow him because he's really smart. That's not what it means to acknowledge Jesus as Lord. To acknowledge Jesus as Lord means that I acknowledge that he is both Lord of all and Lord of me. Meaning that Jesus is in all, through all, and holds all things together and is Lord of this world. Therefore, he is creator God, which we explored all through the Gospel of John. We looked at that last year. And that not only is he Lord of the universe, the world, but he is Lord of my life. So when I do something in the name of the Lord Jesus, what I'm saying is that, Lord, you are the supreme authority. You are Jesus. You are God in the flesh. You are the incarnation, and therefore, when I proclaim you as Lord, you get all of my life. Not just the parts that are easy. I acknowledge that you are in control and that I am not, and that I trust you, and that I surrender to you, and that I rely upon you. So what we're looking at, this idea of acknowledging when I want to proclaim that's who we are as a church and proclaim that's who we are as as an individual or as my family or even as me, what I'm simply saying is that I want to be at a place where my heart and every word, action, deed, thought, thing, whatever it is, it's done in the nature and representation of the loving character of Christ and for his glory alone because I recognize that he is the absolute authority. When you recognize that Jesus is the authority, there's this incredible freedom that comes with that. Because we no longer have to be afraid. We don't have to let worry and anxiety rule our hearts because you are not in control. Control is an illusion. But we recognize that Jesus is Lord. He becomes and is Lord of your life. And therefore, you can trust in him. Now, whether you acknowledge Jesus as Lord or not doesn't change the fact that Jesus is Lord. So he is Lord of all. Scripture is super clear about it. What we have to wrestle with is coming to the the sort of recognition of our own life that I'm willing to die to me and say yes to Jesus. So Paul goes on to say that when we do these things, there's one last little piece of this puzzle, right? So whatever you do in word and deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So when we do this, there's a key component here that's really important. And that is a heart of gratitude, right? So that when we acknowledge Jesus, when we acknowledge the Father, when we allow the nature and character of God to sort of spill through us, when we let Him move through us, when we surrender our lives through Him, He receives the glory. When we surrender our lives to Him as Lord, we're driven to this place of true and real gratitude that basically understands that everything that I have is because God is And that acknowledging Him and doing these things is actually a tremendous and incredible freeing gift. And that we're called to be people of deep gratitude. And you want to know why? Because without Jesus, we are utterly and totally dead. We are dead in our sin, yet God, the God that made this universe and created every star and breathed life into your very lungs, has given you access to Him through Christ. And we are called to be thankful for that. But most of us, and myself included, live in this place of sort of frustrated with the narrative that we've got. If I hear one more complaint out of my own heart about 2020, I'm going to explode. Oh, 2020 is the worst, 2020 this. I'm the worst at that because this is not what I planned, but guess what? I can alter the way that I think about things. And most of us need to change our narrative from being a person that looks at things and finds the negative or finds how awful it was. Yeah, 2020 sucked, but so did 2019 and 2018. You want to pick out all the bad things. They all were terrible. But you know what? There's also a lot of incredible things in those moments. And there's incredible things in 2020. And God knit my family together in a new way. And he created all kinds of new things in me and surrendered lots of things in my own heart. we can change the way that we see the world and the things around us by simply having a heart of deep gratitude. And it begins here, not just with God giving me things, but it begins with the fact that you are given life because of Jesus. And if you can't begin a life of gratitude there, then we're broken. So you can walk out of here, we can be frustrated, we can be whatever, but if it doesn't begin with this place that says, Jesus, I'm so grateful that you died for me. And then whatever this year brings, I want to see it with this lens of gratitude. I want to be thankful that I woke up, that I drew breath. Yeah, life is hard and difficult, it's got those moments, and none of that goes away. But I can choose how I want to live in the middle of it. So when you get to put these pieces together, right, this idea of, of word and deed and acknowledgement and, and loving and character and, and, and proclamation and gratitude, put all this together, you come up with this idea of what it means to truly acknowledge the Lord. And if you place those three things together that we see in Proverbs, that we're going to trust in the Lord with all of our heart. We're not going to lean on what we know. What we know is so limited, it's so broken, as Brandon was talking about, that relying last week on the truest sense of the Lord. We're going to acknowledge him. What does the last part of Proverbs 3 say? It says this, when we do those things, we trust, we rely, we acknowledge. It says the Lord will make our paths straight. This is not what most of us pray for, right? We do not pray for straight paths. We pray for relief. We pray for God to fix. We pray for God to take away. We pray for God to give me, bring me, do whatever. But very seldom, I bet, have you ever sat down in your prayer life and just said, God, straighten my path. Because the straight path thing is actually not what most of us long for. We long for the end, the end of the road, the gate, the piece, the end of the piece of the puzzle, putting the whole thing together. But what God promises the follower of Christ is that if we do these things, if we trust Him, if we rely on Him, if we acknowledge Him, He's going to do something incredibly beautiful. And the beautiful thing that He's going to do is He's going to make our paths straight, meaning this. They're not going to be easy, they're not going to be that bruised, they're not going to have difficulties. But they're not going to be, you're not going to be lost, you're not going to be wandering, you're not going to be aimless. He is going to go before you and with you. And that's what straight paths mean in Scripture. We see this metaphor a lot. Straight paths is the idea that God knows what he's doing and where he's going and he will lead. And if there's anything I've ever prayed for my family that I've longed for, it would be this, that God, you would lead and that I would know how to follow. Whether well, that's changing careers or life or even the most navigating the most difficult times with teenagers or whatever it is, God, that you will lead and I will follow. And a windy, difficult road that goes up hills and around mountains where I don't know if Jesus is around the bend. That's where we spend a lot of our lives because we let worry and anxiety soak in us. We don't fully trust the Lord. We don't fully rely on him. We lean on our understanding. And we're sure not proclaiming or acknowledging who he is as Lord. And so the road gets really windy feeling. Because we can't see in front of us. Because a lack of trust is seizing our hearts. But we learn that if we do these things, what happens is that windy road, the Lord straightens out its bends. And we're able to trust that He is leading in a direction and that there is hope on the horizon, always. And I find this to be incredibly beautiful because in a culture that wants things fixed, and wants things done and wants God to answer prayers and the way we want them answered and answered now, God says doesn't promise that. He just says, "I will lead, and I know where I'm going." And if there's ever been a place I want to lead this church, it would be that, that we would just follow the Lord. He knows where He's going. So when we think about stewardship, all this to bring this back around to this idea of stewardship, as a church. We want to be able to take all the resources, and that doesn't just include money. It actually includes the hearts and the lives of the people here, our Vine Kids volunteers and our hospitality team and the people that come and clean our building and the people that collect clothes and help us pass them out or cook lunch for our homeless friends on Wednesdays. All those things, the missionaries that we support. We have missionaries in Egypt and we have missionaries in France and missionaries in North Texas and in New York City. We have all these incredible missionaries that we support. That we All the resources that we have, that we fully trust the Lord to lead. And that our well-laid plans are always subject simply to his. And so when we make these proclamations, what we're saying as a church is that, God, we trust you. And we believe that you are so good that we give you what's rightfully yours anyway. And we want to be great stewards of that. And so the way that we think about that as a church is that we do these pledge cards, not as a way of holding you to something, but as a way of thinking about how we can plan for the future. What does it look like in 2021? What, What are the resources that we have available and how can we best give them away. And that's really the heartbeat of our church is how do we give away the resources that the Lord has given us? How do we love much and love well? And so it's an honest process for us and we take it very seriously. And so it's a process for our membership and regular uh, attenders. If you're not in that wheelhouse, if you're here visiting this process of our pledge card, it's not for you. It doesn't take away the truth of which we just explored, but what we're getting ready to do is we honor the Lord with the pledge cards is, is not for you. What we'd encourage you to do is if you want to write a prayer request out on the envelope that's sitting on that chair in front of you, um, we're going to have an opportunity during worship right now to bring those forward, our pledge cards or those prayer requests, and drop them in this basket up here. Write something down you'd love us to pray for. Brandon and I will take that so seriously. We would love, I mean, I really mean deeply love, to pray over those. So if you're not at a place where you want to fill out a pledge card or you're not part of a regular community, then we encourage you to write out a prayer request and and, and drop that in there. Or if you are, you can write that on the outside of your pledge card um, as well. If you turned one in already or you mailed it in, that's great. Um, This is just more of of an exercise for us to be able to say, Lord, we're making a physical movement towards you to honor you with what is yours. And we believe that this church is in your hands. So as Don, our worship team, come up and lead us, Uh, We're going to take a few moments and pray. And then as they lead us in worship, I'm going to invite you as you feel comfortable and led to come forward and place your pledge card in this basket up here as a way of just, for you and your family, honoring what God has called you to. Whatever that looks like for you. Um, Truthfully, this church does not want your money. Uh, We really just don't. We want your heart to surrender to Christ. And if you love the church that you go to, then there your treasure will be also. God has protected and provided us for all of these years, and I'm not worried about it now. This is for us to come together and say, Lord, wherever you lead. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the moments to gather in this place together. For the truth of what it means to fully and truthfully trust and rely and acknowledge you. And every word and in deed, Lord, to live with the nature and the love and the character of Christ, to represent that to the world, whether that's our own family or across the globe, to proclaim a certain set of truths that honor you and bring glory to you, death to self, honor to Christ, and to be a people of gratitude. The first and most important thing that we have to be grateful for is Jesus, that you loved us before we could ever love you, that you demonstrated what that love looked like through Christ, and you saved us when we surrendered to his lordship. And then, Lord, these resources that we have, they're not ours. No matter what we like to think, the truth is it's not ours. It's yours. Everything in my life belongs to you. My children, homes, cars, clothes, every dollar is yours. And so, Lord, let us be great stewards of that as a community. And then teach us as a church how to follow you really well. Wherever you lead, Lord, there is always Hope on the horizon. As Dawn, and our worship team lead us in worship, I invite you to come forward as you feel led, stay in as spread out as you can. You can drop your prayer request or your pledge card off in this basket, and then return to your seat and stand, and we will close our time together in worship. But let's respond to the Lord this morning.